What is going on, people? Welcome to another episode of Clutch Pod. As always, I'm your host, AB. This is episode 38 of the podcast. As always, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at clutch underscore pod. So, we're going to wrap up the Premier League fixtures and I've got a lot of my mind that I need to get out still. <laughs> There's a lot on my mind that I need to get out. So, yeah, Premier League fixtures. This is the seventh round of fixtures in the Premier League. We're kind of starting to see what teams are sort of made off even this early in the season. So, first game that I want to speak about is at Old Trafford. So, Manchester United against Arsenal. You know, the bitter, bitter rivalry that it has been over the years. Not as much these years on the pitch anyway. More of a social media rivalry. But yeah, Arsenal finally win away at a top six side. Beating United 1-0 at Old Trafford. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scoring a penalty after Paul Pogba Bellerin in the box. So yeah, Arsenal finally get that win against the top six that they have been chasing since 2016. Their first win at Old Trafford in the league since 2006, I believe. And it's another disappointing, disappointing result for Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's men. They've now picked up, what is it, like seven points from the opening six games. They've lost three times only getting two wins out of the opening six games. And when you look at it, when you take it in properly, those two wins was against Brighton, where we scored after the referee had blown the full-time whistle because we got a penalty from Bruno, and against Newcastle, where we had to battle back and score in the dying uh, minutes of the game. And it was a Bruno Fernandes goal as well. So, like, even though when we do win, it's not convincing enough. But listen, um, I'm going to say something right now. It might, it might be... Uh, over, in fact, I don't think it's an overreaction. I think it's just straight facts. But um, this Manchester United team, the team is not good enough. Manchester United, they don't hold the same weight as they once did. Manchester United, as a club, they are finished. The, the team is just simply not good enough. They need to rebuild again. Um, they desperately need to get rid of like 95% of the players that currently play for them right now. Because the way I see it right now, they will never, they will not be in a place to challenge for a league title or even... Uh, I'll come closer uh, title challenge for the next 10 to 15 years. And that's at best. And that's completely brutal honesty from a United fan. Um, other teams have been getting better around us. We've been getting worse. When you think of it like this year, we finished third in the league last year. So technically speaking, after Liverpool and Man City, Manchester United were the third best team in the league. But we all know that on paper, that was not the case at all. We managed to finesse our way into third last season, get a Champions League spot. And at that point, the board should have thought of investing in the team to make it better. Especially now that we have the alert of Champions League football, which most of these world-class players want to play. We didn't do that at the end of the day. Everyone around us got better. Arsenal have improved. Chelsea have improved. Uh, Liverpool and City have improved. Hell, even teams like Everton and Leicester are creeping up. Wolves are creeping up. So this is why I say uh, top four for Manchester United is not a guarantee. I don't think we'll be making top four for the next at least decade or so. And that's me being that's me being optimistic at best. Like It's even gone beyond just Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Because at the moment, is he the manager for us? Hell no. But at the moment, us sacking him, it doesn't achieve anything at all we do not gain anything from sacking him because we're just going through the same cycle we're going to bring in a new manager he's going to spend how much million he's going to spend he's going to uh, uh, um, um, try to get rid of the players that he doesn't want and in the end it's just not going to work it's not going to work at all like the whole team needs a gutting from the top down the whole hierarchy 
Ed Woodward and those guys, but that's something that's near impossible to happen because I don't see him stepping down or I don't see him getting fired anytime soon. But we need to get like proper football minds in there, like a director of football, someone who essentially knows ball and knows what they're doing when they're making these footballing decisions. Because at the end of the day, we've got guys that have no footballing brain, yeah, making decisions on the club. And this is contributing to the downfall of the club. Um, the way I see it as well, um, this is it resembles highly, yeah. Um, the Liverpool team of the 1990s and how they were, had a 20-year Premier League drought before they finally won the league last year under Jurgen Klopp. This is it's like almost like a mirror image. So Liverpool won the league in 1990, yeah? They went through all these managers, yeah? Over the years, they had like Gerard Houllier. He didn't win a Premier League title. Rafa Benitez was there for six years. No Premier League title. He won one Champions League. Gerard Houllier was there. Couldn't win a Premier League. They brought back club legends. Kenny Dalglish couldn't touch a prem for them. So they went through this whole drought of not not winning a Premier League title, yeah? And they had world-class players at the time. When you think about guys like Fernando Torres, yeah? At his time at Liverpool, yeah? He was arguably the best player in his position as a striker in the world at Liverpool. He couldn't he couldn't um, get them over the hump. Luis Suarez, 2015 Luis Suarez scored 31 goals in 33 Premier League appearances. They couldn't win the league. They couldn't win the league. And he was on a six-game six game racism ban. Still couldn't touch the Prem. Steven Gerrard, a world-class player. Played Liverpool in his entire life. Couldn't touch a Premier League title. Couldn't touch a Premier League title. So these are the um, things that mirror like the whole Manchester United situation right now where it's gone seven years, yeah? Seven years since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. We haven't mounted a single uh, proper title challenge. We, we have not mounted a title challenge. So, and we've had world-class players that have come in and out. We've had managers, world-class managers that have come in and out. They've all tried their best. It hasn't happened. It has not happened. Like, we've had players like Di Maria. You had your Farkaus. Pogba's come. What has he really done? Like, that's another thing. Like, all these players. David De Gea was arguably one of the best goalkeepers in the world. He only won the Premier League title under Sir Alex Ferguson ever since then. Like, all these players have come and gone and Manchester United have not, have looked a shell of themselves. This is, why, this is why I say yeah, we will not mount a proper title challenge or even compete for top four properly for the next 10 to 15 years. Because when you think of um, things like this here, okay, that Liverpool season when Suarez scored 31 goals here and they arguably had the title in the bag. They, in fact, they did have the title in the bag, but they just bottled it, yeah? When you think about it like this, they that team was not used to winning before. So when they got into that position, they did not have that championship mentality. And in the end, they ended up bottling it because they were in a position that they have not been in, bef in before and the pressure got to them. So even if United somehow managed to uh, uh, find a manager who can rebuild the team and actually mount a title challenger, it's still going to take extra years for them to build that confidence and have that championship mentality before they can go on and mount a serious title challenge and hopefully win the title. So it's, it's I can't lie, it's bleak right now for United fans, man. Even when Jurgen Klopp came in for Liverpool, yeah, it took him four years to touch a Premier League title. Four years. And that's... At the time, right now, one of the greatest managers in world football right now. And say we sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer this season. There's rumours swirling around his jobs on the line. If we don't beat Everton, if we don't do this, this and that. That achieves nothing. We sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer now. Who is coming in? Who is coming in to, to push this side to mount a title challenge with this team? The team is not good enough yet. And there's no manager out there, I believe, yeah, that can turn this team into a 
a legit title challenging team especially with the fact that we don't want to spend money on players in the positions that we desperately need like we went and bought Donny van der Beek for what reason why did we go and buy him because van der Star co-signed him and because van der Star was a club legend and Oli just fought Barnett let's just grab him like the play the positions we needed to address we have not addressed them when Klopp came into Liverpool they needed a centre-back their defence was awful van Dijk 75 M's boom bada bing got it done look at their defence now like, look at it now. Like, we have not addressed these problems. And we do not have a board here that is competent enough to help address these problems. This is why we will not be a force to be reckoned with for the next at least 10 to 15 years at best. Like, we need to gut this team here from the from the top to the bottom. So, Manchester United, it's, it's, it's going to be a bleak time. And, and the, quicker, the quicker United fans begin to understand this here, the quicker they can gain closure and the quicker they'll be able to move on and to, you know, find a way to... Uh, detach themselves from this mess that is going on right now because the team is good enough and when I'm saying yeah 95% of the team needs to go like from the like the whole team bro like there's only three or four players in this United team right now yeah that I would say we should keep them when we rebuild this team obviously uh, um, this is just hypothetically because realistically this is not going to happen they're not going to get rid of everyone but in an ideal scenario because we're just dealing with hypothetical situations here yeah there's only like three or four Manchester United players that I believe yeah have the quality and the ambition to to carry on playing for Manchester United I'm gonna go through the whole squad here yeah David De Gea I'll be real thanks for the good times but he's just he's just lost it he's been a shell of himself he has made a lot of blunders over the past like two or three seasons he's lost it he's just shit now man let's let's just be real in it let's just call a spade a spade um dean henderson okay he was at lo- unknown at sheffield united last year he done all right but if we're being real he's a backup goalkeeper he is not ready to be a number one phil jones he's just dog shit let's move on eric bailly to be frank, he's just made of glass. He plays one game, he'll tear his ACL or suffer a mad injury and we won't see him for another month. Like, what the hell? How can we rely on someone like that? Uh, uh, um, Lindelof, he just makes too many mistakes. He he doesn't look confident at all, man. Um, a lot of people have said to me when we have these discussions that it's because he's not with a really competent centre-back. Like, if he's with a commanding centre-back, like, he'll do his thing, but he's not, though. So, like how how do I expect man? How do I trust man to to defend if if he looks like a deer in headlights when he's under pressure? Like I can't trust them man. There, Harry Maguire, he, he's just slow. He's shit. He's overrated. And to be frank, he's not even a Manchester United caliber centre back, let alone captain. Like he just walked in through the door and he's just given the armband and said, "Go and lead this team." How can I trust a man like that? And then look, just look at the mistakes that he's made, bruv. I can't, he's not a Manchester United centre-back. Luke Shaw, he just has zero defensive awareness. He has not recovered since he broke his leg. And I don't understand because it was like three, four years ago. Like, I can't, he cannot be a starting left-back for a Manchester United team that have title aspirations or top four aspirations. Uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, he's excellent defensively there. Most, the best defensive fullback in world football, I believe. But he has zero attacking awareness, and he does he he can't beat a man. He cannot beat a man. He has like one skill move that he's mastered, and he tries to do that every time to get by his defender. How is that gonna work, bruv? He's just useless past the halfway line. Axel Twanzebe plays that like, once a season. Like what the hell, bruv? Like half time forget he even plays for United. I'll just see man in the lineup or on the bench like once a season and say, oh shit, this guy's still around. Like 
like how how can you rely on a man like that in one of the most important positions on the pitch center back like Timothy Foss you meant so I don't I don't even know why he's still here man I don't know why he's still here he's not good enough for Man United Nemanja Matic is too old and too slow to play uh, the type of football that is played now where you need to be dynamic quick on your feet you need to cover a lot of ground in in a lot of these games and he's just not that guy anymore in it three four years ago maybe but not right now uh Paul Pogba don't even get me started on Pogba listen I was a Pogba fan but I'm done with him man it's it's 80 million pounds he has not he has not provided value for that. I mean, what's his most iconic moment? That that two goals he bagged against Man City when they were on the brink of winning the title. Like, what, what else? What, what else has he done? Like, he's nonchalant. He's not. He doesn't fit the system, even though the system itself is flawed. But that just goes to show. And he's always twerking for Real Madrid. So I cannot trust a man whose heart is not there at the end of the day. So he needs to go as well. Jesse Lingard. He's just. He's just a dancer in it. That man there wanna wanna be famous on TikTok now. Let's keep it moving. Fred. Fred had like three decent decent games towards the end of last season. He was alright. But it's just it's just not good enough, innit? It's not good enough. Like three good games and everyone's all, all foaming out the mouth for Fred. Like I don't get it, man. Um Bruno, I don't even want to slander man in it. I don't want to slander man in it. But at the end of the day, sometimes his passing IQ, like some of the decisions he's made, is wayward. Although I'd be real, Bruno Fernandez is one of the players that I would keep in a rebuilt Manchester United team. He's one of the three or four guys in it. I would say that for real. Because I know he's got that ability in it. And also, me-wise, he's got the mentality that fits playing for Manchester United. Don't get me wrong. There's a few men that have that mentality as well. Like, McTominay has that mentality. But at the end of the day, he's just shitting it. He cannot play football. He cannot play football to the level of Manchester United standards. So, you can have all that mentality. But if you're not showing that on the pitch, then what is the point? Like, I cannot have you in my team, innit? So... Uh, Bruno Fernandes is one of the players that I'll keep. Donny van der Beek, yeah, we brought him in. He cost 40 mil and he can't get a single game. He cannot play. I don't understand that. What is the point of bringing man in if he's going to play 10 minutes off the bench against Brighton and then another 12 minutes off the bench against Newcastle and then come on deep into added time uh, to defend the corner in, in the Champions League? Like, what is the point of that, bruv? I do not understand it. McTominay, I've spoken about him. Okay, he's got... He delivers a nice post-game interview after a loss, but at the end of the day, what have you done to to contribute to your team winning? Like, at the end, he just comes out like... he just comes off as a passion merchant like i think he thinks he's better than he actually is like who are you to try and play 35 yard free balls that penetrate the defense here in dying minutes of a game when we're one nil down like like just get out man one matter probably one of the nicest guys in football but unfortunately the game isn't based on sympathy he's passed his prime by at least four years and that's me being generous and he has like two pace he needs to go Igarlo only here because he supported United as a youth let's just be real and he's going to be gone in January so I don't even want to get onto my man because he knows himself he's not a Manchester United player in it Anthony Marshall this is gonna this is gonna they're gonna come for me for this but at the end of the day he's just consistently inconsistent I can't trust him I cannot trust him and he has anger issues like like is he is my, is he gonna bag a brace today or is he just gonna like like float around and not do nothing like like it's either one of the two I can't trust a man whereby I don't know what version of Marshall is gonna turn up week in week out bruv like we cannot have players like that in it like, the man needs to be consistent bruv he needs to do better so I don't know for Marshall man and also 
the, there's a lot of players in that position. Like we've got like strikers as wingers, wingers as strikers. That like, we just need a, a striker like a number nine, and I don't think Martial is that in it. I don't think he is that man. I'm just being honest. Marcus Rashford. I'm not going to slander Marcus Rashford, obviously for his off the pitch activities. But to be honest, um, he does need to work on sometimes his footballing IQ, and sometimes he's finishing like he'll lash out shots that just need a little bit of finesse. And things like that. But Marcus Rashford is definitely one of the players that I would keep in a new Manchester United side alongside Bruno Fernandes. Dan James. <laughs> Let's move on. Greenwood. Uh, Mason Greenwood. Obviously, <laughs> he's sure to be a whole 19-year-old kid. But at the end of the day, he just needs like an arm around his shoulder. Because the path he's trying to go down yeah, is a bit mad still. But he just needs some guidance in it. Because um, really and truly, yeah, he is the most cold-blooded striker that we have in the team. Left foot, right foot. The most clinical um, game on the line, one chance. I want Mason Greenwood to have that one-on-one -on -one chance. And I think he scores that nine times out of ten. I wouldn't take him over anyone else. And finally, Edison Cavani. Let's be real, he's way past his prime. Um, I think he's only here for a final payday. Take care of his family. They're probably going to blow out to like Newell's Old Boys or one of them Argentine. No, he's not even Argentinian. Let me not violate. Or probably going to go like bang ball in the Uruguayan League and just bake off there until he's retired, in it? So that's the breakdown of the team. Um, as I said, basically everyone needs to go apart from Rashford. Um, I'll keep Greenwood I'll definitely keep Greenwood at 19 years old and uh, the talent that he showed but he does need um, the right guidance around him and I'll keep Bruno Fernandes because I think he's a very impactful player and he knows what it means to play for Manchester United and though that's the combination of players that we kind of need in the team so that's my run about Manchester United and um, I will like stand by this and say that it's going to be like 10 to 15 years before we mount a serious title challenge and listen, you can come back to me in 2035, yeah, <laughs> and I'll still stand by this. So, yeah, this this Manchester United team, the quicker the quicker United fans um, um come to terms with this, the quicker you can move on. Because at the end of the day, like even when we lost this game to Arsenal, who who played a great great game. See, I've even this has just been overshadowed by the game. Like Arsenal came there and they dominated. They, like the team when I saw the team shit, I was a bit skeptical. I thought they were coming to part the bus, but at the end of the day they bossed the game man. They played like it was the Emirates. We were the away team at Old Trafford. Like we were actually the away team. We couldn't get a hold of the ball. Um the diamond formation just didn't work. He had Pogba playing left wing. He's not a left winger. He's we've got too many players that like to play in the same position. That's our problem. Like, this is why I get frustrated because like there's we've got surplus in certain um, positions but then there's positions where we actually need to address and we haven't addressed them so yeah this is gonna be united we're just gonna fade away into the distance man now it's not even i'm not even a pessimistic guy like that but sometimes you just need to be brutally honest and say how say how it is and that's exactly what i'm doing let's move on to the other <laughs> weekend fixtures my man united run is over they're gonna come for me though they're gonna come for me because I slandered some of their favourites, but it is what it is, man. Sometimes a difference in opinion is needed, man. We can't all have the same opinion, innit? Moving on to the City game, they played Sheffield United at Bramall Lane. They escaped there with a 1-0 victory. That Kyle Walker strike was enough for City to win the game. Sheffield United, I'll be real, I'm a bit worried about them still. Um, we all know about that second season syndrome in the Premier League, where certain teams who do very well in their first season coming up, they do tend to struggle a bit more. I don't know why that is, actually. It has to be something to do with 
it has to be something psychologically still psychologically <laughs> but yeah um they're really really struggling they've only scored three goals in the seven games so clearly they just don't score enough goals i mean chris wilder's brought in rian brewster big money fee for a 19 year old he's put a lot of faith in him um at this point in his development i don't know if he can be the guy to fire sheffield united out of the relegation zone or just score the goals they need to be comfortable in the premier league um ollie mcburney like david mcgoldrick billy sharp is way way past his prime so i don't know if they've got enough goals in them to survive and of course like goals win games at the end of the day and if you can't score goals you have to be good defensively at least and they do not look that great defensively so it's going to be a real real struggle for the blades and chris wilder's men we'll just have to wait and see if they can pull it off moving on to turf more another team that's been struggling is burnley as well sean dash's boys has the oil run out the tank for sean dash and this burnley team have they run out of these overachieving seasons i don't know but it's not looking good for them either they were comprehensively beaten by chelsea hakim ziek Kurt Zuma and Timo Werner all getting on the score sheet. Timo Werner's banged in like what three goals now in the Premier League. So he's slowly but surely adapting to the game. I do feel like he will be a great, great addition for this Chelsea team. Yeah, um, Nick Pope, it was very, very poor positioning for him from for the Ziet goal. Bernie, they look like they're gonna struggle as well, man. They're gonna really, really struggle. Only one point so far, deep into the relegation zone. So yeah, Sean Dyche is gonna have to um rile up the troops again. So that Burnley can be known as that place you don't want to go on a wet and windy Tuesday night. <laughs> More than they stalk them. Um, one person I do want to big up though, Edouard Mendy. He did come out and say he wants to do well in Chelsea to show um, um the Premier League that black goalkeepers can be of value. And I thoroughly stand beside him. And there's not a lot of black goalkeepers out there. And I really hope he does do well, man. Especially with the goalkeeping crisis that Chelsea have had. But yeah, another clean sheet for him. I do think Frank Lampard has found his man. And yeah, big up Edouard Mendy, man. He's made some quality, quality saves. Even when um United drew 0-0 against Chelsea last week, he was really, really outstanding. So yeah, I'm sure Frank Lampard will be really, really pleased with him. Moving on to the champions. Liverpool narrowly beat West Ham at Anfield 2-1. Um, Fournal's got on the score sheet for West Ham. He's been in a bit of a purple patch for the Irons. And he scored a few goals for them. Mo Salah converted a penalty before Diogo Jota bangs in the winner for Liverpool five minutes before time. Um, Liverpool, you already know Virgil van Dijk's out for the rest of the season. And Fabinho, he was a makeshift centre-half. Well, not really makeshift because he's played centre-half before. But you get what I'm trying to say. He was filling in at the back until he got injured in the Champions League. So they started Natty Phillips at the back, an academy graduate. And I'll be real, he held his own. Obiet is against West Ham and it's only his first game, but he's going to have to be crucial for um, Liverpool because they, quite frankly, don't have any other senior centre-halves. I'm hearing rumours of them man started Henderson or even Wijnaldum at the back. I don't... That has to be only rumours, though, because there's no way Klopp will experiment like that. So, yeah, Natty Phillips, um, they've got a couple other defenders as well. They might have to, like, rotate and play a big job for Liverpool. One other question, Mark, that will be circulating around Jurgen Klopp's head would be the form of Diogo Jota. Is that enough to warrant him a place in the starting lineup instead of Roberto Firmino? Firmino, we all know, like, he's a special type of striker different type of striker he's not really a goal-getter he's just there to facilitate for Mane and Salah and really you know um orchestrate the high press 
etc etc but I feel like he's been a shell of himself recently um, only one goal scored so far this season and with the form of Diogo Jota and with the fact that he started the last Premier League game as well I'm wondering if Klopp is thinking about slotting him in, putting him in the starting lineup, benching Firmino and playing Salah in a more central role because they did have Mane playing right wing for a little bit of the game as well so I think that could work man, Diogo Jota is a quality quality player Spurs beat Brighton 2-1, Harry Kane scoring a penalty and Gareth Bell finally getting off the mark, GB9, GB9, with a um, header to open his Tottenham account. Well, in his second spot at the club anyway. And yeah, defeat for Brighton. One thing that did come out um just last night I was reading, um, Neil Morpé, he wasn't in the starting 11 for Brighton or not even on the bench. And I know he wasn't injured. I mean, he's had a bright start to the season. I think he scored about four goals so far. Uh, he's done bits for me in fantasy as well because <laughs> I needed him. Lord knows, bro. But yeah, apparently he was dropped because Graham Potter said he has a massive ego issue. So that's something that um I would like to keep track of. It's kind of mad still um, for him to have those ego issues. But yeah, um, Brighton, they've been all right-ish this season. They've been all right. But they, obviously, they got back Ben White, who was on loan at these last season. Um, Tariq Lamptey is a real, real baller. He's been holding down that right flank on his own. 5-6 as well. Like, big up Lamptey, man. I like him a lot, bro. I like him a lot. And Monday Night Football could have been seen as an early relegation six-pointer, but Fulham hosted West Brom. Both teams without a win this, this season. That changed, though. Fulham winning 2-0 at Craven Cottage. Bobby Dacordova read and Ola Aina scoring a screw. Hey, don't sleep on Fulham, you know. They scored some decent goals this season, bruv. Like, some real, so far, goal of the season um, type of goals still. But, yeah, they won 2-0. Clean victory. Mitrovic played well as well. But, yeah, that's that's an important, important win for them. We know the type of start they have had to the season. So, for them to finally pick up their first three points of the season is good for them. Obviously, they brought in Adamola Lookman. He's looked lively. I saw him score his first goal of the season last week. Great solo goal. He's a real baller, man. And they brought in Ruben Loftus-Cheek on loan from Chelsea. I feel like he'll play a vital part if he can stay fit. And that's a big if. West Brom, um, they'll be very, very disappointed with that defeat. Still yet to register a win this season and yeah it's going to be a real struggle for Slavin Bilic's men they did bring in Carlan Grant though for from Huddersfield he's a real goal getter I've been tracking his movement since Charlton days he was banging in goals went to Huddersfield got relegated with them in the Premier League I hope he doesn't get relegated with West Ham in the Premier League because that's just dread to have on your CV man getting relegated from the Prem twice in like three years but yeah the second game on Monday Night Football was at Ellen Road. It was a real cracker still. Leicester ran out 4-1 winners against Marcelo Bielsa's men. Harvey Barnes opened the scoring early. Jamie Vardy was active. He got on the score sheet as well. Got an assist. And Yuri Tillemans banging in two goals. One of them being the late, late penalty that really put the icing on the kick. Leeds were competitive in the game. I won't lie, but it was a very, very open game. Um, I'm sure Bielsa will be disappointed with how their defence was so leaky at the back. I feel like they're really missing Calvin Phillips. He's out for a while. I think he had like shoulder surgery or something like that. So yeah, he's going to be a big miss for them. Patrick Bamford missed a few crucial chances. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's just a defeat. I feel like Leeds will be all right though, man. They've really brought um, um, some new ideas and a breath of fresh air, essentially, to the Premier League. 
Big up Marcelo Bielsa, man. He's one of he's just a great coach, bro. Moving just rounding up the rest of the game. Southampton survived a late scare from Aston Villa. You know, they ran out four three winners. James Wood Prowse, listen. I think he's one of the most technically gifted Englishmen we have in the game right now. Technically gifted. I mean, he's just he's just a free kick specialist, bro. Dead ball specialist, man. Pinged in two great free kicks. Danny Ings got on the score sheet as well. And Jan Vestergaard, free header. You know he buries doors, man. Big Jan fam. Um, Tyrone Mings, Ollie Watkins and Jack Grealish getting on the score sheet for Villa after they went 4-0 down. I know Ralph Hassan-Hurtle will be disappointed with the fact that um, Southampton nearly blew it, man. But yeah, even both managers will be fairly disappointed. Obviously, Dean Smith will be disappointed. Their team went 4-0 down that early in the game as well. But yeah, they showed some fighting spirit to bang in them goals. But obviously, they did not get the win. Newcastle capitalised on Everton missing out three of their most influential players. By beating them 2-1. Callum Wilson banging both goals. Dominic Calvert-Lewin continues his scoring streak. Getting on the score sheet. But it wasn't enough to salvage a point. Obviously Everton without Richarlison. Who suspended Luca Dina. And also James Rodriguez. So when them man there come back. Title challenge back on. <laughs> and I was joking around with Amanda. I said Everton were going to win the league still. I slightly need them to do that though. Because... I need one of these wild predictions I have to come true. And the uh, last game, Friday Night Football, Wolves beat Crystal Palace 2-0. Daniel Podence and Ait Nuri getting on the score sheet. And Milovojevic got sent off. So, yeah, right now, Liverpool lead the league. Point clear off Leicester and Tottenham and Everton fill up the top four places. And early relegation watch. West Brom, Sheffield United and Burnley all without a win. The only three teams without the win. So, that is what's going on right now in the Premier League. Obviously, Champions League group stage games are underway as well. And, yeah, that's it right now. Clutch pod. I'm going to move on to the NBA segment now. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at clutch underscore pod. Moving on to the NBA segment now. A few things I want to address. I'm going to talk some Sixers, some Rockets, some Nets. I'm going to talk about the tug of war between the start of the new season and probably going to talk about some free agents as well. So let's start off with the Sixers though. Obviously, that's the team I rep. Big up the Philadelphia 76ers. We had a very poor offseason. Um, a lot of fans were mad. They were mad at the front office. They were mad at um, Elton Brand. Or everyone was mad. Basically, no one was happy. <laughs> so, yeah, um, what I want to say, i got to big up the front office, though. We've brought in Daryl Morey. He's the new president of basketball operations. Elton Brand stays as the GM, signed an extension not too long ago. Um, brought in Dan Burke as an assistant. <laughs> the same guy that criticised Joel Embiid, saying that he gets away with a lot of shit. I remember that as well when we played the Pacers, man. We rattled him, we rattled him. Um, brought in Dave Yeager, the former Grizzlies and Kings head coach. And we've also got Sam Cassell um, on the coaching staff as well. So all these guys, we've got like a real um, committee of head coaches and assistant head coaches all um, under Doc Rivers in Philly. But yeah, I'm excited about the acquisition of Daryl Morey. I'll be real, yeah. In the beginning, I was very sceptical 
of bringing in Daryl Morey to Philadelphia because we all know he's a I, would, I don't want to say mad scientist but he's very very experimental he was not afraid to push the trade button he traded away Clint Capella and moved PJ Tucker to center so and that's the thing with the Philadelphia 76ers there's been so much roster turnover over the past three four years even back to the process years that we're kind of worried that um there's going to be a whole new roster that's going to be built again so yeah, that's what I was initially worried about. But when I listened to the press conference last night that the Sixers held, when I've really like looked at his resume, when I looked at like his history as Houston Rockets GM over the last thirteen years, I've really begun to like um have faith in what he can do to bring help bring a championship to the city of Philadelphia and for the Philadelphia 76ers. So yeah, obviously he's best known for making trades. He made the second most trades. Um, since he was a GM, obviously the first is the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, he's brought in, they said he was brought in for his draft expertise, able to find gems late in the draft. He found Clint Capella late in the first round. He's found guys like Chandler Parsons, not today's Chandler Parsons, when he was actually a serviceable basketball player in the second round. And yeah, one other plus thing was he he did want Doc Rivers in Houston after they got rid of Mike D'Antoni. So I'm hearing they have a good relationship. So that's very, very good. Because usually yeah, with these things, you hire like the GM slash president of basketball operations first and then they choose a head coach. But we kind of done things the other way around. And um, another plus is Elton Brand staying on. A lot of people were mad at Elton Brand for giving those uh, astronomous contracts to Al Horford and Tobias Harris but at the end of the day I feel like this just shows that it wasn't just him that was in negotiations for those um contracts because I feel like there was a lot of voices that were also being heard for some reason in the front office and it wasn't just Elton Brand that was essentially calling the shots but they're going to work together now Daryl Moore is going to be calling the shots for us and another positive thing is the picture of him on FaceTime with Joel Embiid and how he's spoken about how these two like young talents franchise cornerstones in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid how he wants to keep them together and then build around them mainly Al Horford because the thing is with Tobias Harris he's shown that he can play alongside Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons I feel like his best position is a power forward it's just Al Horford needs to go and we need to get shooting around so I'm a believer now, I can't lie, I believe Daryl Morey is going to do his best to try and bring a championship to the city of Philadelphia and for the 76ers. So I'm very, very enthusiastic for what the future does have to hold and what this offseason is going to bring. Um, we did underachieve this postseason, so it'll be interesting to see how the Sixers look. And yeah, it's just great to see that we finally have a capable GM, a capable front office, and a competent head coach in Doc Rivers. So, yeah, we're still trusting the process. Um, moving on to Houston, they've announced that Steven Silas is going to be their new head coach. He's been an 18-year assistant head coach in places like Charlotte, Houston, and Dallas. There's another black man as well, so it's good to see a black man in a head coaching role. We all know that's very rare in the NBA. So, yeah, it's good to see another black head coach in the NBA alongside Doc Rivers. Ty Lue's now at the Clippers. You got Lloyd Pierce. You got Lloyd Pierce holding it down in Atlanta, and you got Monty Williams in Phoenix. So yeah, man, we we they, we deserve definitely deserve more black head coaches in the league. Black people make around eighty percent, seventy five percent of the players in the NBA. So it's good to see them given opportunity. What I don't know is, I'll be real, I don't know a lot about him, and I don't really know the direction the Houston Rockets wanna go into. They've said that they don't want to blow it up. They want to continue to build on this team 
and they still have championship aspirations. But I don't really know what this coaching hire holds for guys like Russell Westbrook and James Harden, especially James Harden, who now is without the GM who traded for him, is being linked with getting traded to Philly and things like that. But personally, I don't believe that. So, yeah, Rockets fans, I don't know, get in touch or something. But, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Moving back to the East Coast, the Brooklyn Nets have been making a lot of coaching hires as well. Steve Nash is obviously the head coach now. They brought in Mike D'Antoni as his assistant head coach, along with Amari Stoudemire. The seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns are back. But, yeah, so Emeo Doka is also an assistant coach. He was the former assistant coach on the Sixers, very defensive-minded. He's also next up to get a head coaching role. Big up him, man. I like him a lot. Um, but yeah, he's moved on to the Brooklyn Nets. I wish him all the best, man. Big up Emil Doka. He was on Brett Brown's staff. I also didn't know, yeah, that he goes out with Mia Long. Hey, that guy, that's that's he's goated, man. Hey, big up Emil Doka, bro. But I didn't know man was really like that, you know. I didn't know, man. Oh, I had Stephen A say on first take. I said, huh? I had to Google that real quick. But yeah, um, that's <laughs> that's besides the point though, because um, he's a very, very good coach, man. He's definitely going to be a head coach soon, along with also Sam Cassell. But yeah, so the Nets have built this um, interesting coaching squad as well. So KD and Kyrie, they're going to be surrounded by guys like D'Antoni. I don't really know what that kind of means. Obviously, Steve Nash is the head coach, in it? Like, that's, that's set in stone, but I don't really know what system they're going to be running i don't really see kd and Kyrie running and guarding up and down the court but yeah we just like i said we just have to wait and see because there's a lot of unknown factors heading into this 2020 2021 nba season there's a lot of unknowns that like this season has the potential to be a very very crucial and exciting season when you think about how some teams left the bubble how um how some teams are coming back like the Warriors and things like that like there's a lot of forces in play that can make for a very interesting season. Obviously, got the whole Yanis fiasco with the Supermax where they'll sign it this off season. AD as well, um he's gonna resign with the Lakers most likely anyway. And that leads on to my next topic of discussion, which is notable free agents. So we don't know where certain free agents are gonna decide to sign. I think one key player that I've been reading about is Danilo Gallinari. He's a free agent. Um, he was at OKC last season, sorry. And he's spoken about how he wants to join a contender and he's not chasing a bag, apparently. He just says he wants to play on a team where he feels like he can win a championship. So that's very interesting whether or not he wants to take like uh, a pay cut or even a mid-level exception. Because if a team, I'm telling you now, if a championship-caliber team manages to grab Danilo Gallinari with the mid-level exception, yeah, that could be something that could move the needle. Because Danilo Gallinari, I've said this on multiple pods before, he's just a winning basketball player. Like, he does um the little things well. Like, he, he's a great shooter, not the greatest defender, though. But he plays his role very, very well. Trust me, man. So, yeah, it'll be interesting for him. Demar Rosen is another guy. I've seen him linked in trade rumours as well, signing trades. Tristan Thompson's a free agent. A lot of media outlets are saying that LeBron James is um, eyeing him up for a reunion. Rajon Rondo has a player option with the Lakers. He might decline, as does Andre Drummond have a player option with the Cavs. And that's just, like, notable free agents. There's a few other free agents 
who could um, sign to contenders that could possibly move the needle for them. So yeah, it's going to be a very, very interesting NBA season. Last off though, the biggest, the biggest stumbling block right now is when the NBA season is going to start. So right now the NBA wants a pre-Christmas date. They're eyeing up December the 22nd. That's when they want to start the NBPA. So the Players Association and basically the players, they want to start mid-January because of the turnover from the NBA finals. If they do start December 22nd, it will be like seven weeks from the NBA finals. So that's a very, very short turnaround especially when you've got guys like LeBron James who are in the NBA Finals. You know he wants his rest. So that's the stumbling block that the NBA and Players Association are on right now. But then again, you've got like six teams that haven't played basketball since March. Like the Hornets, the Hawks, the Bulls, the Warriors, the Knicks, the Timberwolves. They, they weren't even invited to the bubble. And you've got teams that were in the bubble but didn't like make the playoffs. So there's all these factors that we have to take into consideration when deciding when to start the NBA Finals. Um, but the NBA, they've stated that they're going to lose a lot of money if they don't start in December. Approximately 500 million to 1 billion if they start in January. And that is a lot of money. And when you dive deeper into it, when you consider like um, the escrow payments and things like that, players will have to take a pay cut because of the whole, um, the NBA keeps a percentage of players' salaries and then returns it back to them based on revenue coming in. Like, it's very, very complicated because there's not a lot of revenue coming in because there's no, like, fan, there's no ticket sales and things like that. So the NBA is losing money. And because they're competing with, like, the NFL, with Major League Baseball in terms of um, TV viewership because it's, they're on at the same time. Like, the NBA numbers, the viewing numbers are drastically, drastically um, plummeting like it's crazy so this is why adam silver and the nba want to push it forward also you have to consider the olympics in 2021 they want to finish before then because obviously players do want to represent their countries in the olympics because they only come around once every four years so all these things they have to consider i have to also consider the fact that they start in january this could affect the salary cap the salary cap is projected to reduce anyway so it's it's a very very um, complicated situation like they've delayed talks four times now the NBA and the Players Association the latest extension they've put is the 6th of November so that's in like three days at this point of recording and Adam Silver's really trying to put pressure on the Players Association to kind of like um put through this motion that they need to restart the season or start the season the new season sorry by December we'll just have to wait and see how this tug of war ends when we will see NBA basketball. The draft is at the end of this month though in November. It's a it's in like 15 days or so. So it'll be interesting to see where these prospects goes. But a lot of people have said this is a very, very deep draft. So it's a draft whereby there might not be a single star like a Zion or a Jar sort of thing. But there are a lot of like players that could contribute to a lot of teams. So I feel like those drafts are kind of better though, because then you have more players who are like established NBA players than you, you know, like only like the lottery picks in that play and then the other um, second round picks and late um, first picks are all in the G League or, or fall out the league within like the first three years. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And these are the kind of drafts where you'll find like a star in like, like the 18th pick or something like that. So we just got to wait and see how this draft turns out. So yeah, I feel like that's the NBA update right now. Clutch Pod episode 38. Don't forget to follow us on the socials at clutch underscore pod. Much love if you're still listening on at this point and you guys will hear from me soon. Love.